Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Dr. Bill Telephone Education Series. Dr. Bill Sikastida is the Chief of Optometric Services and Coordinator of Children's Programs for the Center for the Partially Sighted, as well as Consulting Director of Low Vision Training for Braille Institute. And Dr. Bill is partnering with our Child Development Program to offer this monthly teleconference seminar. The Dr. Bill Telephone Education Series is a program focusing on pediatric eye conditions for parents, teachers, and other professionals working with young children with visual impairments. The topics presented should not be considered a medical or educational consultation, but information to help us better understand pediatric eye conditions. And I want to thank you tonight for joining for, for, for your lecture tonight, Dr. Bill, in advance. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Well, this evening we're going to be talking about an overview of cortical vision impairment, also very often abbreviated CVI. Well, this evening we're going to be talking about an overview of cortical vision impairment. This is something that so many people are now very interested in this topic because of the fact that there are more and more and more children who have this diagnosis. And in fact, cortical vision impairment is now the leading cause of vision impairment among children. Now, the first thing is the definition of what is cortical vision impairment. To understand what is cortical vision impairment, we do have to understand the anatomy and physiology of vision. And we're going to break up this concept of vision in three different components. First, we have the level of the eyes, and the goal of the eyes is to absorb light from those objects that we see in our surroundings. And the eyes have different tissues in it, and these tissues absorb the light, and they convert the light energy into electrical signals. Now, after the eyes have converted this energy that we see at the level of the eyes into electrical signals, these electrical signals are sent down a nerve that is called the optic nerve. And the optic nerve connects the eyeballs to the very, very back of the brain, which is called the visual cortex. So if you were to feel the very back of your head, you could feel that entire region and that is where visual information is processed. So the process of vision is really going to involve three different regions. The eyes absorbs the light, converts it into electrical signals that are sent through the optic nerve, and then the information is then processed in the visual cortex in the back of the brain. Now when children have cortical vision impairment, the primary reason that these children and adults do not see normally is because there is damage to the visual processing areas of the brain. So for these children, it is not that they have an eye disease or it is not that the optic nerve is not sending information normally. But the problem is, is that when this information is then received, by the visual cortex in the back of the brain, the visual cortex in the back of the brain does not know how to process that information normally. So when children or adults are suffering from low vision because of damage to this back portion of the brain, it is diagnosed 
as cortical vision impairment. Now, there are specific factors that are associated with cortical vision impairment. The most common factor associated with CVI is the lack or the absence of oxygen. There are situations when children at birth have difficulty breathing. We may see that a child is born prematurely and the lungs are not fully developed to breathe properly. These children may not be able to take in enough oxygen and as a result, the visual processing areas of the brain are damaged. These regions of the brain could also be damaged if we have trauma. It may be that a child falls out of a bed, a child falls down and hits his or her head. We also see other situations where a child may have suffered from a brain hemorrhage. If there is a brain hemorrhage, the blood does not travel to the regions of the brain that oxygen is needed and this damages the way that the brain processes visual information. We also see that some children may have seizures, and these seizures may be very, very severe, and the seizure activity does involve the different processing regions of the brain. We also may see situations in which a child may have hydrocephalus, where there's too much water in the different ventricle areas of the brain, and this can also affect vision. But all in all, when we do see that children have cortical vision impairment, the good news about this is that, number one, their eyes are usually healthy. Number two, their optic nerves are usually healthy. And number three, that these children do have some vision. Children with cortical vision impairment are not. They are not totally blind, but they do have some vision. What's really interesting about these children is that the way that they use their vision is different than a typically developing child. Now, what are the ways that a child with CVI's vision is different? Well, for most children, when we use our vision, we use our central vision to look at an object or a toy or a face of somebody who is looking at us. And this is something that children often will be able to do shortly after birth. When a child uses his or her central vision, the child has the capability of having the sharpest level of vision. In other words, when you use your central vision, you are able to see details most clearly. This is why when you are going to read the newspaper or you want to read something on your computer screen, we tend to turn our head and our eyes so that the computer screen or the newspaper is directly right in the center of our eyes. The reason that we do this when we read is that in the center of the eye is the macula, a region of tissue on the retina that has the highest resolution. In other words, the macula is the part of the retina that is our HD, high-definition television. We have that ability to see the smallest details. When a person uses the central vision, we then have the ability to see small objects with excellent clarity. 
this will allow a child to see something that's very small and very far away, very, very clearly. So, for example, if there was a hummingbird flying outdoors, a child can turn his or her eyes to use to look and identify a hummingbird. But when children have cortical vision impairment, we know that these children do not use their central vision. As a result, they very rarely will make eye contact. Or if they do make eye contact with their mother or father, they make eye contact for only a very, very brief period of time. And then they turn their eyes or they turn their head and they tend to look at you using their peripheral vision. When children are looking at you with their peripheral vision, they do not have that clear level of vision. And the reason for this is that the peripheral regions of the eye, they do not have that real sharp vision. Number two, when a person uses the peripheral vision, they don't have as strong of color vision. They may be able to see some basic colors, such as red or yellow, but they don't have the ability to differentiate all the fine details of colors when they're using their peripheral vision. Another thing, when a child is using the peripheral vision, they also are having difficulties with adapting to various lighting conditions. The peripheral vision is better able to see under dim lighting, or if it's at nighttime and you have the room lights off, or you might associate this peripheral vision with when you're camping. You know, if you're at the Sequoias and it's a beautiful, clear night and you look up into the sky and you could see a tiny star and it's very, very bright and you say, my gosh, it's so beautiful out here. And you may notice that if you turn your eyes slightly away to the right or the left, above or below that little star, it will actually become even brighter when you turn your eye away from it. And the reason for that is when you turn your eye slightly away, you are then using your peripheral vision to see that star, and the peripheral vision is what gives us better night vision. So you often can see the star much brighter when you are looking with your peripheral vision rather than your central vision. Now, when a child is not using his or her central vision, this has a lot of different types of consequences. First of all, parents will notice immediately that there's something different about my child. You know, my child's eyes look fine. The eyes don't look like there's any type of scarring or other damage to it. But my child doesn't make eye contact. I wonder if my child is able to see... And when children don't make eye contact, this can have a lot of different types of ramifications on the relationship between parents and a child. Or other times, mothers will feel very, very rejected as they attempt to nurse their child, and their child won't even look towards that direction. Many mothers will even give up trying to nurse, and they often will say, oh, my baby doesn't love me. My baby won't take my milk. I don't know why, but my baby doesn't love me. And this causes a lot of emotional stress. And many, many, many families 
do benefit from different types of counseling. But it's very important also to understand that when a child doesn't use the central vision, this child does not have normal depth perception. The central vision provides a lot of helpful information about judging how close or how far a person is. So if a child is not using a central vision and a parent comes to pick up the child, they might see the parent there, but they don't realize that the parent is coming to pick him or her up. They might perceive that mom or dad is much further away, and when mom or dad pick up the child, they get startled and they cry, and the baby is very, very uncomfortable into those situations. So this also affects the social development as well. The eye-hand coordination of children who are using the peripheral vision is also reduced. It is typical for the central retina of the eye to neurologically be connected with the motor regions that control the use of the index finger. As a result, when children will try to point to something, many times they're going to be most accurate pointing with their index finger. But when you work with a lot of children with cortical vision impairment, you often will notice that their fine motor skills are delayed and they don't use the index finger in isolation to interact or to touch a particular object. And they tend to grab things more so with that palmer grasp. Even as they grow much, much older, they may still use that palmer grasp. So for children with cortical vision impairment, it's very helpful that they have a consultation by an occupational therapist who can evaluate the development of the eye-hand coordination, the fine motor skills, and also provide parents with different activities that will help to promote development of the eye-hand coordination and the depth perception. When a child doesn't use a central vision, we also know that the problem-solving skills, the way that that child will solve visual problems is also reduced. So this might be a baby who is older, and this child is trying to stack two blocks together or to insert a shape into a shape sorter. These kinds of activities may be very difficult for the child with cortical vision impairment, and we want to work with these types of activities to make certain that these skills do develop. If these skills don't develop, this is going to make learning concepts in mathematics and science. These are skills that could be very, very difficult. It could also affect how easily that a child dresses him or herself. They would not be able to perceive which shoe is for the right foot and which is for the left. So all in all, we see that this abnormal use of the central vision, it does affect many, many aspects of the child's overall development and subsequently it does affect many aspects of the way that that child learns and tends to problem solve. Now, when we look at children with cortical vision impairment, we do observe that they do have many features that are very, very strong in their vision. 
For example, their peripheral vision is stronger. They tend to use their peripheral vision to locate toys or to locate people and to locate objects to reach for. So when you're working with a child with cortical vision impairment at first, you may need to present these toys and lights and the iPad, not in their straight-ahead position, but slightly off to their peripheral vision. Number two, kids with use their peripheral vision tend to see motion better than they see non-moving objects. So as a result, if you're going to use a toy, often using a toy that is going to move and can be moved in different regions would be very helpful. We often will use the lint rollers that you get at the dry cleaners, and we will put a piece of paper around the lint roller that has stripes. So suddenly we have a striped drum that could spin. And when you spin this in the child's peripheral vision, children with cortical vision impairment often become very, very aroused. They want to look at it. It might be the first time you ever to see your child being so interested in using vision is because there are these types of moving objects. Or other things that work very well are things such as pom-poms. You could go to Toys R Us and they have kids' pom-poms. The kids love that. Or you can get ribbon and cut ribbon, and you can have it dangling at a distance that's further enough away from the child. But if it's blowing in the wind or a fan, the kids love to see that type of motion. You may also notice that your child might be more interested in watching television videos when it comes to turning on the credits at the very end of the video. Parents say, you know, I don't know why, but you get so excited looking at the credits at the end of the video. Well, the reason for this is that the children enjoy that type of movement that they see on the screen. Kids who use their peripheral vision also tend to see black and white better than they see all colors. So you may start off using black and white toys, such as the black and white spinning drum, and then later move on to using specific colors. We see many of the kids with cortical vision impairment, after they have learned to look at black and white, they are then interested in looking at red and white. And then later it's black and white, red and white, and orange and white. And we could then begin to expand the number of colors in the spectrum of what the child is going to look at. We also notice that the children who do have this strong ability to use their peripheral vision often see better at night. But we need to be careful because sometimes it may be we're trying to have our child go to sleep, but it's too bright in the child's room. And because these children often see better at night, then they're going to see everything that's in their peripheral vision in that room, and they're going to be awake for quite a while, and mom and dad don't get quite enough sleep there. Now, what are some of the latest data in terms of research that we know now about cortical vision impairment? We do know that it is now the leading cause of vision impairment among children, but we also now know 
that there is a program of visual intervention available that can be performed by parents and teachers for the visually impaired in conjunction with the recommendations of their eye doctors to help children with cortical vision impairment develop more vision. Now, Dr. Christine Roman has been studying the benefits of visual stimulation on children with cortical vision impairment, and she has found that approximately 9 out of every 10 children who have cortical vision impairment may develop near-normal vision within a period of 3 to 4 years. And this was published in the Journal of Vision Impairment and Blindness at the end of 2012. And it was something that when I read this, I said, this is amazing. These are really amazing statistics because before it was often lectured that children above the age of five really would not be able to develop more vision. And now we have much more hope because Dr. Roman's studies show that it doesn't matter if you're a boy or a girl, it doesn't matter what age, as long as you receive this type of visual intervention for three to four years, these children developed a much higher level of vision, significant to the point where these children are using their vision to guide their body when they walk. They use their vision to find food on their plate to feed themselves. They use their vision even to read and to write. When I read that, it was something that was really, really encouraging to me because before that time, I had never had a child with cortical vision impairment who showed interest in reading and writing. So we are now recommending that all children with cortical vision impairment, they undergo a program a visual intervention. And that's a big word, but it's a way that we can use the same terminology that was described by Dr. Roman, and we hope that this is going to allow children to receive these types of services covered through insurances. The first step is that the children must be diagnosed as having cortical vision impairment by an eye doctor. Cortical vision impairment is something that a doctor must have experience with in order to make that type of diagnosis. We can look at the behaviors of the children. Does a child respond immediately or is there a latency? You know, some of these kids with CVI may require as much as 15 to 30 or even 45 seconds to respond to what we have presented in front of them. In other words, if you put a flashlight in front of them, they don't move their eyes, they don't move their head, they don't even respond to the light, and it may be 45 seconds before the child then turns their head and turns their eyes and reaches for that flashlight. So we look at the latency we look at what direction is this child able to see the best. Is it in their upper visual field or in their lower region of their peripheral vision? Do they see better on their right side or their left side? 
What is the distance that this child has a range of vision? Maybe this child is only able to see things at a distance of 12 inches, whereas other children may be able to see at a distance between 12 inches and 36 inches. We identify what colors the child is able to see and appreciates looking at. We're going to evaluate whether the child sees things better if they're stationary or if they're moving. We also want to make that determination, will this child reach for it or not? Children who have just recently been diagnosed with cortical vision impairment may not reach for something, but with time, they will develop that ability to guide their hand to grab the toy that they see. So there's all of these specific variables that the eye doctors are going to look at, and we score it. And after we have scored each one of those variables, we can add up the total points, and we can then determine what range of vision does this child have. Phase one is the child who has the most severe vision impairment. Phase two is a moderate level of vision impairment. And phase three is when the child has the highest level of vision. So when we use this particular type of grading scale, we can measure what level of vision improvement that the child has made every three months. And we could then redirect the activities that we want the parents and the teachers to perform so that we could develop those areas that are in greater need of development. Number two, after the child has received that type of evaluation, we may also then prescribe glasses for these children. They may not necessarily need glasses to help them to focus on objects, but we often will use glasses to magnify what the child sees. Or we may use glasses to alter the peripheral vision area that the child is able to use the best. This is a way that we could direct how the child is developing more and more vision. There are many special types of eyeglass frames that we'll recommend for the children with CVI so that it's much more comfortable for them and much easier for them to wear. And in our previous podcast that we've had, we have talked about what style of frame is very helpful for children. We've talked about how to prepare children, how to wear glasses, because for many children, they just don't like the feeling of something on their face. The third thing that we will do is that we will provide a handout to the parents and the teachers and the team, and this handout includes specific ways that you could enhance your home or the workplace that the child plays in to help the child to see better. This has a really, really great list of activities that you could do to help your child to see better at home. We want to make certain that there's the appropriate type of lighting are using the correct types of light bulbs? How can we decorate certain parts of the room, maybe by using 
a little bit of paint or we might use colored construction paper and we could do things to make certain areas much more visually stimulating. And for example, let's say that your child has cortical vision impairment and just loves to look at the color red. Well, we want to continue to promote the way that your child is using vision so we can decorate the areas that your child plays so that there's a lot of red, so that when your child is in that play area, your child is going to be visually interested and visually activated. As time goes on, we may then begin to change some of the red, and we might use other colors such as pink or orange. We also will describe different ways that you can use high contrast to make things much more visible. So that is a very, very important handout on how to enhance your work area or your home to help your child to see more effectively. Number four, during the eye examination, the eye doctor should be educating the parents as well as the teachers on which kinds of activities would be most effective. Now, we have put together a really nice list of activities, and we have activities that are designed specifically if your child is at phase one level of vision, or if your child is at phase two, or if your child is at phase three. So in this way, by doing these activities that are on this handout, you'll be doing the appropriate types of games and activities that can help to stimulate the development of vision. As a child gets older and we see the level of vision improving, we will then give you the new handout that has phase two level of exercises and so on and so forth. Now all of these exercises that we talk about are very easy exercises. They're, they're often developed and created by many parents themselves. They don't require expensive equipment. In other words, it doesn't involve that you're spending $5,000 to buy these special high-tech types of computers. But we have specific types of games and toys that you have at home, and we show you how to use those particular types of games and toys to stimulate the use of vision. Let's say that your child is the child who loves to look at red. Well, we may recommend that you go to the 99-cent store and you purchase red plastic utensils. And so we spread them on a white tablecloth, and we're going to let that child pick up every one of these red spoons. And this will be a way that the child is developing the ability to locate where is the spoon and how to reach for it so we're developing the eye-hand coordination and the child is learning to differentiate shapes. In other words, the spoon looks different than the fork. And by doing something as simple as this, we're really stimulating the visual cortex of the brain and developing more and more vision. One of the devices that has been very, very helpful for us in working with those children with CVI who really enjoy looking at moving and changing objects is the iPad and other tablet computers. 
With the iPad, we have identified many different types of applications that can be used depending on whether your child is Phase 1, Phase 2, or Phase 3. And these games are very interactive. They often include music. If the child is too engaged in the music or the sound, we could turn off the music and the sound. And the kids love playing with these particular types of activities. So we have also developed a list of activities for use with the iPad. Now this far, we've talked about what is the cortical vision impairment. Number two, what is the research on improving the vision with it? And number three, how can you begin to improve the vision? But the next step that we want to share this evening is one that we are very, very excited about, and that is we have developed a study group here in Southern California, and this is called the Southern California Cortical Vision Impairment Consortium. And what we have done after attending Christine Roman's excellent seminar, we've decided that it's very important that here in Southern California, all the eye doctors who do specialize in working with children and the teachers for the visually impaired, as well as the other therapists who work with children with low vision, that we all get together and we study together and we communicate together and we spend the time to develop handouts that we could share with parents and others who work with children with CVI. And we now have this kind of information available. So if anybody is interested in receiving this type of information, I'm going to recommend that you would send the email to myself or to Tori Schladen. And Tori's email is Tori S. T-O-R-I-S at low-vision.org. Again, Tori S. at low-vision.org. Or again, you can email me at Dr. Bill Foundation, D-R-B-I-L-L Foundation at gmail.com. Now the next part of this is that we are also producing videos. And the purpose of these videos is to allow each of you to be able to see children with CVI at different levels of vision. And you can see how children with CVI do develop higher levels of vision. Among these videos will include those that will demonstrate how to perform some of these activities. Let's say it's the game, just using the colored spoons, or a different game, using the iPad. These videos will show you specifically how to set things up so that you begin working with the child on these activities. And number three, we also want to share that the American Printing House, www.aph.org, has also just done an outstanding job of updating their website. And the information that they have on cortical vision impairment has also 
increased and is excellent. Now, we're going to be meeting with them soon, and we think that we're going to be sharing a lot of our content with them as well. So this way, people throughout the world, they can receive this type of information for free, and they could simply look at it on their home computer, or they could print out a PDF of it, and they can have a booklet for themselves as well. So all in all, I just want to review that over the years, there has been tremendous changes in the way that we work with children with cortical vision impairment. In the past, there really was very little hope. But today, we now have documented proof in a research paper by Christine Roman that children with cortical vision impairment can develop higher levels of vision. So at this point in time, I'd like to open it up for discussion with all of you out there. And if, uh, Sue, if you would join me mm-hmm. on this particular part of it, mm-hmm. and also if uh, Tori Schladen, if you're available, then if you could join us as well. And please feel free to ask us any questions whatsoever. Um, one of the things that we're often asked is, is there a cost to be able to receive this information that we've discussed tonight about cortical vision impairment? And the answer is no. There is no cost. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, so please unmute your phone by pressing star 6, and we'll take any calls. And also to remind all of you that this is being recorded by Airs LA, and mm-hmm. it will be available next week at the Braille Institute website, www.brailleinstitute.org, and also www.airsla. That's A-I-R-S-L-A dot org. And we especially want to thank Mr. Joe Yurka for recording this. Yes. Okay, so let's go ahead and let's take any questions that some of you parents or teachers out there, therapists, anybody have any questions, uh, please feel free to ask. I just have a statement to make. This is Rosanna. Hi, Dr. Bill. Hi, Rosanna. Great. Thank you. I just wanted to let you guys know that um, the art packet from the consortium is up on the website, low-vision.org, and it's under resources, mm-hmm. so you guys can access it. Oh, that's great. Okay, so if you go to the website, www.low-vision.org, and click the link, Resources. And there you could find these handouts available. Great. And also, uh, one of the things that we are also working on at this moment is we are working on having these handouts translated into Spanish. So that's going to be very, very helpful. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, Rosanna. You're welcome. Do we have any other announcements or any other comments or suggestions? Okay. Now, Sue... Do you mind mm-hmm. sharing with us how does your program at the mm-hmm. Braille Institute, how does your program utilize this information when you go to the homes and work with children with CVI? 
Mm-hmm. Well, like you said, Dr. Bill, um, one of the things we find is very, very critical in these situations is that there is a, a medical diagnosis or a visual diagnosis of CVI, and that's why it's important that they get to doctors like yourself to get this information because that then kind of clarifies that um, we are working with that medical team that recognizes that there, you know, there are this is there is a um, uh, a condition called CVI. The child child has that condition. Um, at that point, you know, we do a lot of, of observation and interviewing with families and using uh, many of the resources from Dr. Roman, her scales and the phases that we talked about: phase one, phase two, phase three. Um, work with um, the family to kind of determine how the child is using their vision. But again, that comes with information we get from the doctors. We want to be able to kind of verify what we see and what parents see is what the doctors are seeing because that, that way we're all on the same page and starting in the same place. So taking that information from the doctors, a lot of our staff will go actually to the medical appointments with the families and you know, so that that we are able to take notes for the family and get the same information so that we can all kind of go back with an idea for what would be in the best interest of that child's um, begin to, beginning to use that vision. Um, from there, we will look at, if it starts with phase one, let's say it's a newly diagnosed child with CBI, we would then look at some of the activities you see in the phase one activities. And it's really great to hear that they're up on the website now so people can follow but like we say, we want to enhance the environment. We want to simplify the environment. We want to help families with suggestions so that we can um, look at the child's play space and realize that and, and try to remove some of that visual clutter that might be keeping them from looking at a specific object or um, at that point, again, looking and seeing what the child's interest, interests are. Um, do they like that red color? Do they like that shiny object? and then trying to promote the vision of those things that he's successful with. And then from that success, then we can build on other activities and build into um, looking at um, routines and such of the day, maybe like exactly what you were saying about the red spoons, maybe during feeding time, if the child is attracted to red, we might encourage the family to use all red utensils, use the red cup, use the red bowl, those kinds of things to keep the child um able to, you know, interested in looking. Uh, from there, we might go ahead and, and look at, you know, throughout the day, the dressing, the bathing, all the activities that the child would be involved with, keeping it very simple for families. So it's not like we have to have a specific vision time. We want to be able to keep it routine-based so that the child and the family um, are actually engaged in play while they're doing the vision simulation. So so let's just follow through and look and, you know, follow to see where the child is going. And as the child develops those vision skills, make it a little more challenging. Maybe we do add a little bit more background noise to see if the child is able to function um, looking at an object and while listening to some music in the background. Are they capable of functioning in that level? That's you know, that's another way for us to get an indication that the child is moving on. Um, we've seen um, children who are able to um, begin to reach for things. Maybe um, we didn't see that, that ability, that mobility to be able to, to orientate by looking and reaching for something. Those are the kinds of things we want to then stress in that phase two. And then as the child moves into phase three, we may be, act, we may be including more complex activities, like maybe, you know, um, identifying an object in a book even. So, again, these are things that, that um, we kind of follow with the child, and it's all developmentally based, based upon where the child is functionally and where the child is 
in terms of whether they're doing uh, developmentally. But again, all of this has to take the intake into consideration of what the doctors are seeing and to see the progress. And so that's why really very important to us that the, that, that um, this whole team approach is, is employed so that we can really work um, to, to maximize that child's vision. That's great. Thank you very, very much. Hey, sure. sure. And, you know, one of the things, too, that we as doctors often observe is how does a child use vision in different positions? Mm-hmm. Some children with cortical vision impairment if they are trying to sit upright and balance themselves, they're functionally blind. They're concentrating so hard to try to sit and to balance that they can't use their vision. Mm-hmm. How do you recommend to families to help these children to be positioned in ways so that they can use their vision? Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's well, I think it's really important, and I welcome anybody else to jump in on this too, but... Um, I think it's what's really important is that we look at it when, we, when we're working with a child, we want to make sure that they're comfortable in using their vision. If they're sitting in an upright position and they're, they're still not comfortable in their trunk support, not able to, and they're, they're not able to really hold themselves up and they're working so hard to do that, that's going to take away from their ability to actually look at something because they're, func- they're working so hard to keep, their, keep themselves upright. I think it's best to look at what the child's best and most comfortable position, and it might be in the car seat. It might be just sitting upright in the car seat where they're supported. It may be when they're laying on their back. It may be in a sideline position if that's where they're comfortable. Maybe it is even just being the child being held by their parent, um, and um, intervention can happen um, in that in that engagement where the child is comfortable. Um, but it, the most important thing is that the child is, is truly comfortable in that position and we're not trying to use opposing um, positioning that would keep the child from func- you know, focusing and working on their vision because working on vision is very hard. It's a very challenging thing when you're developing that, that ability to, to see. Um, naturally, we want to make sure that the environment is, is clutter-free, that it's, it's, it's a simple background, it's either a white, uh, a white background or a dark background, whatever it is, but there's not a lot of patterns that interfere when you're in, in that position, position. So maybe positioning on a, a quilt or a busy background wouldn't be the best maybe background for the child, but, ch- but laying on the bed with a dark background or dark blanket would be uh, a, one way to be able to create an environment that would support um, that child's use of their vision. So, and if anybody else has any other suggestions, I think that'd be great too. I think that's those are very very helpful suggestions, Sue. Um, you know, Sue, I think you should have done this lecture tonight instead of me. No, <laughs> absolutely not. No, I, I, very, I, very, very, no, no, I, we we always learn something from you, Doctor Bill. Always. Uh, oh no, no. Is uh, Tori Sladen on the call? I don't. I think Sue is on the call from the, from the center, and then Rosanna is. And I have a question. If if we can mm-hmm. still, still still take questions, I have a parent. Um, her little boy, and I think she's on the call, but um, her little boy does have CDI, and he's progressed to where he's using some very functional vision. Um, the ophthalmologist is wanting to do a VEP. Uh, visual, that visual evoked potential test. Yes. yes uh-huh. Can you can you explain that to us? Well, the first thing is I also want to inform parents, especially parents, 
that not all doctors, not all eye doctors, are, are aware of this research study that was published by uh, Dr. Christine Roman. So when you ask about visual intervention, there may be many eye doctors who have no idea what you're talking about. So if you do go and you do print out these materials about cortical vision impairment and share it with your doctor, then you're going to get a lot more support. Now, when a child has cortical vision impairment, the doctors are able to look at the eyes very easily to determine, is there a problem with the eyes? When the doctor looks at the eyes and determines that the eyes are healthy, but the doctor still understands that his child isn't seen properly, the doctor then wants to determine if there's a problem to the optic nerve. And there is a particular test that's called the visual evoked potential, where a child will look inside of a bowl. This is a large bowl, and different types of patterns will be presented in that bowl. Or other times they might be looking at a computer screen, and different patterns are presented. An electrode is then connected to the back of the brain, and we then can measure, is this information being received by the visual cortex? If it is not being received by the visual cortex, then we can identify that there is very likely a problem with the optic nerve. So the visual evoke potential test is a good test to measure the function of the optic nerve and the central visual system. But this test is very rarely performed to make the diagnosis of CVI. In other words, a child does not have to go through this test to be diagnosed with CVI. Parents do not have to pay for this test to begin the visual intervention program. So if the insurance is going to do it and the child is a cooperative child, then this is some information, but it is not extremely vital information. The doctors who are experienced in cortical vision impairment will be able to diagnose cortical vision impairment very, very quickly without the cost and the time that's involved in the VEP. So if it were my child, I would not go through the time and the expense of the VEP. Okay, we have time for uh, one more question. Is there another question out there? Hi, um, I have a, a daughter. She's four months old, and we've known for a little over a month that she has CVI. And I have been told repeatedly that she will develop a functional level vision. I just wonder what exactly does that mean? Yeah, well, when we say that the child will have functional vision, what it means is that they do have enough vision that they could see toys and see people and see food or see other objects to help them to do the things they want to do in their everyday life. Now, there's other children. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I I just said, like, be able to drive, maybe. In In some cases, that may be the case. Yes. 
So at this point in time, where do you live? We're in uh, Reseda. Oh, you are? Okay. Well, one of the things that I would recommend is, and is your child already being uh, receiving services through Los Angeles Unified School District, or...? Yes, she she has three therapists that come to see her. She's covered. So she should be beginning to receive the visual intervention services. And does your daughter have a low vision eye doctor? She sees uh, Dr. Borchardt, the neuro ophthalmologist. Okay, great. And how about a low vision optometrist? No, she hasn't seen an optometrist. Okay. I would recommend that your daughter would have an examination by a low vision optometrist so that okay. we could determine which phase of exercises should be performed. Right. And I, it, it's coincidental. This sounds a little bit embarrassing because it sounds like I'm, you know, trying to promote our doctors, but we do have an office in Tarzana right on the corner of Reseda Boulevard in Burbank. Oh, that's just down the street from us. (laughs) Yeah, so you could go to uh, Subway and after come to our place and get her eyes checked. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, and then at what point would would glasses be deemed necessary? We yeah, we need to do that now. Oh, okay. Yeah, so we do the examination. If we feel that glasses would be beneficial, we would begin that part of the treatment too. You put glasses on a four-month-old? Yeah, we put them on one-day-old children. <laughs> really? Yes. Be cute. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So if you do want that type of appointment, I'll give you a phone number. It's 818-705-5954. And, Sue, do you want to share some of your contact information if she has sure. questions? Sure. Yeah, um, my name is, I'm Sue Strafasi, that's S-E-R-A-S as in Frank, A-C-I, and I'm with Braille Institute, and it's area code 323-906-3138, that's my office number, and I'd be happy to answer any questions. Sounds like you've got a good team already on board, a good group of, of people on board, but um, we would be happy to answer any questions for you and if there's anything we can do to help you. Okay, thank you. Sure. And, uh, Sue, you want to tell us what's in store for next month on our lecture? Yes, yes. Next month um, is May 12th. It's Tuesday night again, same time, same place, uh, 7.30 at Pacific Standard Time. May 12th will be uh, an overview of retinal conditions, and that will be sort of like a a uh, bucket list of all of, of, of retinal conditions that Dr. Bill will give us kind of a grand round. Does that sound okay, Dr. Bill? Yes. Okay, good. We have quite a few uh, people out there interested in that as well, so we're looking forward to that call as well. Okay, wonderful. So, again, I want to thank all of you for tuning in this evening. Uh, please look for the audio recording that's going to be available on the Braille Institute webpage as well as on Airs LA, www.airsla. And if you have any questions, please feel free to contact Sue or myself at any time. Okay, good night, everybody. Thank you.